You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Our subject uh, for this Christmas time, or our theme, is A King is Born. And we're going to look a little bit into that today. And, uh, but as we come around to Christmas, how many of us have, are wondering who is, even, who is even associating Christ with Christmas anymore? Are you wondering that? It's, it's very, very disassociated nowadays. We have many, many distractions. Even the word Christmas. English is one of the few languages that actually has, at least European languages, that actually has Christ in Christmas. Um, maybe if we look up there at the uh, list of European languages, um, we can see that uh, they're all associated with something a little bit disassociated from Christ. The first one is Irish, which, believe it or not, I don't speak, and I wouldn't even know how to pronounce it. Um, it means a birthday party. The second one is Natal, which is Portuguese, and that means birth. Yule is Scandinavian, and maybe some of you know that English as well has a word for Christmas called Yuletide. That comes from Scandinavian, and it is pre-Christian. It has to do with the god Odin, perhaps, and uh, from a heathen winter festival. Navidad, that's Spanish. I'm sure most of you know that song, Feliz Navidad. Do you know that one? Uh, so that's birth again. Weihnachten is German, which uh, comes from Holy Nights, apparently. And Noel is French derived from birth. But Christmas, we got it, English. And we, have, uh, we should know right away what it's about. So um, fewer and fewer people are associating Christ with Christmas nowadays. And Stuart spoke on this last week a little bit, and I was, yeah, speak, Stuart, give it. Because um, <laughs> early on, as well in our family, we uh, made our kids fairly much aware that Santa is not like Jesus. Not, you get to the age of eight, and then we, uh, people tell you that Santa doesn't exist. So you get to the age of 14, and then people say Jesus doesn't exist. We didn't want any comparisons there, so we let them know right from the beginning. So preach it, brother Stuart. Um, I was hearing um, a little bit about uh, a little fellow in the United States uh, who said this, Dad, I don't uh, like Satan claws. Um, I thought uh, that was uh, a pretty good rendering of that. Because I think it's a really, um, a really, what would you call it, clever, clever trick of the enemy to bring in this fat, cuddly, um, lovely old man with a white beard who grants your every wish to distract people away from Jesus. And uh, he's an imposter. So uh, just leave that there for your thoughts. But here we are as Christians seeking to re-inject Christ back into Christmas. And as I thought a little bit about the phrase, a king is born, I um, began to contrast that with a lot of the modern ideas that have come in for Christmas. And uh, I also thought about many of the questions that these four little words, four little words, I put three up again, four little words, um, isolated out of context, would raise a lot of questions. The first question that uh, it would raise would be, um, what is this king? What kingdom is he of, perhaps? Where was he born? How was he born? Who was he born to? But the question that really jumped out for me uh, as I looked at these questions was the one, why was this king born? Because I know who he is and everything else, but many, many people don't. 
Why was this king born? And of course we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You know, that little phrase, uh, if you present it to a secular person, they may well think, ah, that's a fairy tale. It's got to be a fairy tale. So they'll go to the list of fairy tales to find out which one it was. Sounds a bit like one of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. So I looked up a list of fairy tales, an almost exhaustive list of fairy tales, to see if there was one called A King is Born. But there isn't, thankfully. And for good reason, because this king that we're talking about is not a fairy tale at all. But many people would actually say was. There are many, quite a few voices out there that say that Jesus didn't exist. But any scholar, any scholar worth his salt today would easily kick that idea out of court or out of the football pitch very, very quickly. Because it's pretty obvious that Jesus did actually come into the world. And uh, he is, um, unlike other people who came into the world, unlike other rulers, there were many, many prior announcements of this king's arrival. And they weren't just made uh, after his mother got pregnant. They were made hundreds and thousands of years prior to his arrival. One of the, ones, the outstanding ones is in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which was written seven to 800 years before he was born. And it said this, for, un, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And this is where the king bit comes in. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is one powerful prior announcement of the arrival of the king. And then in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says here, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then, of course, there are many other announcements about his arrival that maybe take on a different form. Um, in, in Malachi chapter 3, it talks about him being a messenger coming uh, to prepare the way of the Lord. And um, there are many, many other announcements of his coming. But back to that question, why was he born? Now, there are many, many reasons why Jesus was born. Uh, but I want to concentrate on one particular today. Um, for instance, Jesus said himself in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so as I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we can see here that Jesus understood that he had come to preach. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And preaching relates to truth. So in Jesus' understanding of his mission, he had come to preach. But that's not all. John 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And that's really uh, his true purpose, to give us life. But it's bigger than that. Luke 19, verse 10 said, and this is Jesus speaking again, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't it really good to hear from the king himself why he has come? You know, I could go on and list probably another dozen reasons why Jesus came into the world. But I want to concentrate on 
his royal reason today, the reason to be a king and what that king has come to do. But we live in a world where various groups, many groups, are looking for a ruler. And in fact, we're now talking about a supreme ruler of the world. Some uh, people say that the Greek people are looking for a new Alexander. Others uh, say that the French are looking for a new Napoleon. And many New Age groups are looking for a secular or, or spiritual slash secular ruler over the whole world to come and put the woes of the world right. And also um, ISIS and Al-Qaeda are looking to a one-world ruler called a caliph who will look over a one-world uh, caliphate and bring in an apocalyptic, apocalyptic end to the world and fix everything in the name of Islam. So many groups are looking for this great king and this great world ruler. And uh, whichever one it ends up being, that will be the Antichrist. It could be the Muslim caliph. It could be some great political leader or some great religious leader from another group. Could be the Antichrist. But right now, there are many Antichrists out there, as John tells us in his little epistle. And, um, but little do all these people know that the great king has already come. The one who is going to and is in the process of putting all the woes of the world right has already come. And he came at Christmas. Well, we celebrate his time as Christmas. 2,000 almost years ago. Matthew and Luke are the Gospels which tell us a lot about how that happened. They give us the narrative and uh, the storyline. Sometimes I wish there was more. Do you ever wish there was more? Uh, try to find some more. There is a little bit more. Uh, there is a birth narrative in the Gospel of John. Um, you may be scratching your heads and wondering where that is, but we'll show it to you later. Uh, not so much later. <laughs> it's probably up behind me right now. Um, John 18:37. Let's read that. Let's have your Bibles. Um, so this, this is speaking about a king who came into the world. And he came in to the world in the way that is necessary for all human beings to come into the world, except Adam and Eve. He was born, born of a woman, it says in the Bible. So let's read these verses. John 18, 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It's your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. So that's the John birth narrative. Very short, but it's Jesus' confession as to why he was born. You are right in saying, I am a king. That's what Jesus said. You are right in saying that I am a king. Here's proof that Jesus accepted the fact 
that he was a king. And he confesses it being a king by denying that his kingdom is not of this world. And what did he mean by saying my kingdom is not of this world? For surely it must extend to this here and now and to this geographical location. What did he mean by that? Well, I think what he meant was that his mandate for kingship did not originate here on earth. He wasn't like Caesar or like Queen Elizabeth or other kings and queens that had a human mandate to rule in uh, their particular jurisdiction. His mandate was from heaven, from a different place. But then, in another sense, perhaps, his kingdom is not of the earth in, t in terms of reign. You see, um, when the New Testament speaks of kingdom, it uses a word in Greek called basileia, which means reign or rule. So while God is the creator of all things, and he always will be the owner of everything, at this point in time, Satan is ruling the earth, in a sense. He has the reign of the earth. And we are in the process now of that reign of Satan being wrenched out of the hands of Satan into the rightful hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a process which will culminate with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, we are in a transitional period between the rule of Satan and the rule of Jesus Christ. And we all know that um, transitional governments are troublesome times. We've had in the Middle East over the last, well, I suppose since Saddam Hussein was ousted in 2003, we've had in Iraq a transitional process going on which has been extremely painful, violent, Many, many thousands of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have been killed and injured in that transition from dictatorship to anarchy to some form of democracy slash anarchy. Then we have it also in Libya. Colonel Gaddafi was removed. Big vacuum transition from dictatorship to uh, anarchy to some form of democracy slash anarchy. And we have it now in Syria as well. Uh, so there's nothing uh, in terms of government there now, really, that's legitimate. It's, it's a terrible transition. But these turmoils and transitions, really, are just um, the background to a greater turmoil and transition that's going on in the heavenlies, where Christ is um, transitioning his rule over the whole earth. And we look forward to the day when the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray will be answered. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sadly, that prayer is not fulfilled yet. It's aspirational. Every time we pray that, we're looking forward to a day when it is completely fulfilled, where God's will is done as much here as it is in heaven. Some big things have got to change before that happens. How do we know that Satan is the ruler of this world at the moment? Well, there are quite a few texts in the New Testament which show us that. And the first one is in John 14, verse 13. Jesus calls the devil the prince of this world. He doesn't call him the king of the world, but he calls him the prince of the world. And, and they call, Paul called the devil the god of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the devil is described in the following way. Paul is speaking to the, uh, to the Ephesians, and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler 
of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of a kingdom is a king. And uh, he's a king with a small k. And he's got a small k kingdom. Whereas uh, our God has a great big k in front of his name. John 12, 30 to 33 is another scripture. And Jesus says, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So you can see it's a, a process was inaugurated. It's an ongoing process, will be driven out. He's obviously not gone yet, but he's on his way. Should not be cause for celebration at Christmas. The devil is on his way out. What a wonderful encouragement to us. But I, when I am lifted up on the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Wonderful uh, thing to look forward to, the day when we're free of Satan. Now, by the way, Satan is a real being. He's not just some imaginary cartoon character with a red suit and horns and a pitchfork. He's a real spiritual entity that actively seeks to destroy you. And uh, if you uh, don't understand that or don't believe that, have a good look at the Scriptures. These verses that we just read indicate the beginning of of a process which is ongoing, Christ's takeover of his earthly kingdom. And uh, so good to know that he will take back this realm from the evil one. And that is why sometimes talk of this present-day kingdom of God as being now and not yet is a reality. So there are things that happen in this kingdom right now that reflect the kingdom of God. Sometimes people are healed uh, miraculously of illnesses that are life-threatening or life-limiting. I've seen that happening. I've seen things happening like that before my eyes. I've seen demons cast out of people before my eyes. And this is a little reflection of the fact that this process of Christ taking back his kingdom is underway. But then we have to say it's not yet because it doesn't happen in every single case. Um, there is, there's still opposition. There's still... Um, Re pockets of resistance that need to be mopped up and they will be one day and they are being and that's really really encouraging how many of you love the Handel's Messiah you see what a wonderful piece of music it's very very old isn't it um, and, and yet even today there'll be concert halls and opera halls around this country that will put on that performance and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube flash mob in the United States in a food mall. Have you seen that one? They just walk, they're just going about their business and all of a sudden they strike up the Hallelujah Chorus. And they belt out uh, the line from Revelation chapter 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. What a wonderful line. He shall reign forever and ever. I wish we could just start into that hallelujah chorus right now. And the, the, the people in the shopping mall are mesmerized by this. Um, wonderful to see that even that can happen in our day and age. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27 says this, For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, 
who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. So that tells us the outcome of this struggle that is ongoing in the heavenlies right now. I love these words from Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14. They're very powerful. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Love this. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Elizabeth has reigned now for 62 years almost, or more. But her reign will come to an end. Jesus Christ's reign will never, ever come to an end. And that should make us happy at Christmas. Make us happy every day. So why was he born? Well, John 18, 37, Jesus says, In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. So he says he was born to come into the world to testify to the truth. This fact from the mouth of Jesus suggests to me that there was a truth vacuum in the world before he came. Now, truth vacuum is probably not the right word. Probably a, a huge truth deficit would be the right thing to say because the truth was never completely absent. It was there in remnant form, but there was so much error and so much blindness. But when he came into the world, he came in to make up that truth deficit. But only he could do that because he, in fact, was the truth. When the king who is the truth comes into the world to take away untruth, it will happen and is happening. It will be untruth will be cancelled out in this world completely. And one day it will be able to be said uh, of heaven, oh, well, in heaven that is like that, but on this earth as well it will be able to, to be said there is nothing that defiles. There's nothing that defiles. Because Jesus has dealt with it all. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just notice the way that there's an and in between every one of those words. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's to give emphasis to them all, I think, and not to run them all together quickly so we don't think about it. But the one we're thinking about today is the word truth. Jesus is the truth. And I suppose it goes without saying that the kingdom of Satan will be full of lies because he is the father of lies. That's what the scripture calls him, the father of lies. And he's an expert at lying. But Jesus is the king of truth. That's a wonderful uh, title for him. Um, I don't think it, you find that string of words in the Bible itself, but... When he says he's the truth, and when he says he's the king, you put them together, he's the king of truth. And uh, I like that title. And Christmas is about the revelation of truth in a very, very real sense. And this is one major reason why we should be happy at Christmas, that truth has come into the world in the form of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the one who is the truth. And if Jesus had not come all those years ago, can you imagine the amount of darkness that would still remain in our world? The nation that we live in has been transformed by Jesus Christ, even though um, the majority of the people actually don't love him or follow him. 
their lives have been made much, much better because he came. Jesus Christ inspired the reformers of, of these, this nation and the, the United Kingdom um, to reform prisons, to reform hospitals. Um, Elizabeth Fry was um, a Quaker lady who ref helped to reform the prison. Um, uh, Florence Nightingale was a Christian who really started into proper care in hospitals. And um, Lord Shaftesbury was a Christian who reformed the workplace. William, Wilber no, William Wilberforce was a Christian who brought about the ending of slavery, and they were all inspired by this one Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa, who was she inspired by? Jesus Christ. Our world is a better place because of Jesus. And that he comes into the world at Christmas is, the truth is light, isn't it? And one of the symbols of Christmas is light. If you travel around the roads, you'll see a lot of people uh, put up lights. And that's one of the reasons they do it, because Christmas is a symbol of light and truth coming into the world. So, in this narrative that talks about the King of Truth, we have a question from Pilate. I know this is an Easter narrative, but we're using it for Christmas. He asked the question, what is truth? Perhaps he should have asked the question, who is truth? That would have been a better question to ask, I think. It is Jesus. Jesus said in John 8:32, then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He could have easily have said, just as easily have said, then you shall know me, and I shall set you free. Interchangeable. Because that's what he does. One of the observations that I have had in this church through the year of 2015 is that those who have come to know the Lord as their Savior have this intense hunger for the Word of God and to know Him. It's exceptional. And uh, this just shows me that um, Jesus has come in to their lives in a very real way. He's living inside, and he has given them this hunger for the truth. And what's more, not only has he given them a hunger for the truth, but he has given them the ability to recognize the truth when they hear it. That has really astounded me. As I talk to these new believers, and they hear a new thing from the Word of God, their faces light up. Oh, that's it. They recognize it. It's because the King of Truth is living inside them. And it's a wonderful thing to, to watch. John MacArthur uh, is an American commentator. He said, um, it's a very good definition of truth. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? John MacArthur says, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. And who is that truth? Jesus. Jesus is the self-expression of God. He is the exact representation of his being, Hebrews tells us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? What is truth? No. Who is truth? Jesus. And truth is unchanging. Truth has, um, for many people in this generation, uh, has become something which is pliable, flexible, stretchy, twisty, and uh, can be anything, really. Even some Christians are adopting that kind of an approach to truth. But John MacArthur says again this, 
The idea that the Christian message should be kept pliable and ambiguous seems especially attractive to young people who are in tune with the culture and in love with the spirit of the age and can't stand to have authoritative Bible or biblical truth applied with precision as a corrective to worldly lifestyles, unholy minds, and ungodly behavior. And the poison of this perspective is being increasingly injected into the evangelical church today. Those are powerful words. Good that they're up there because you can look at them and think about them. Um, why is the truth not flexible and not bendy? Well, it's because the king of truth is not flexible and bendy. He's not a twisted being who says yes one day and no another. His yes is yes and his no is no. And he does not change. Um, Malachi tells us that, um, or records that the Lord said, I am the Lord and I do not change. It's wonderful to know that. One of the characteristics of God is his unchangeableness or immutability. It's a, a wonderful doctrine that anchors us. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, 45, he said, uh, even though he's the king of truth, he said this, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Just because the king of truth comes into the world and tells the truth, there is no guarantee that people are going to believe the king of truth. They want to believe their own thing very often. And the guarantee really is that there will be those who will believe him and there will be those who will not believe him. And that has always been the case Second uh, Thessalonians 2.10 says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Are you one of the, uh, those who do, does not love the truth? Are you one of those who veers away when you hear the truth and rejects it? You're in great danger. Jesus said in this chapter that we read, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So don't claim to be on the side of truth if you don't listen to Jesus. It's an oxy moron. It's a contradiction. So one sign that a person really is in Christ is that they love the truth. It's a beautiful sign. Very encouraging to the person who loves the truth and to those who watch the person who loves the truth. Amen. We know that people are in error once they contradict Jesus Christ. So you see people who profess to be Christians and they contradict Christ or contradict the Word of God. It's a big question mark over whether they really are Christians or not. And if the truth is the way that we navigate our, uh, through life, if truth is the way we navigate through life, and Jesus Christ is the truth, then Jesus Christ is the way to look, navigate through life. You get the logic? I'll read it again. If the truth is the way to navigate through this life, and Jesus is the truth, then Jesus is the way to navigate through this life. Very, very simple logic. And I know that some of you are struggling with, with life at the moment. Some of you are believers and life is tough. But you know, the more you get to know the truth of his word, the more that will help you in your struggle. When you know big things, and you get those big things in place, get the big rocks into the bowl first of all, Jesus will help you through your life to navigate through the hardships and the hard times. Perhaps you've looked in many, many places for the truth. And today you're here, and that indicates that you're at least looking to Christianity for the truth. You're perhaps looking to Christians, but I'd ask you to look a little bit farther to Jesus himself, because he is the truth himself. 
And if you do look to him, you will find the answers for your life and your eternity. Your problems may not all go away, but the truth that will come into your being, your very inner being, will help you to avoid much of the errors that you continue to make day by day. That repetitive thing that just gets you down all the time, that repetitive sin, he can put that right by teaching you the truth and the other way. So when Jesus said this, in, in fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth, what did he mean when he said that he was testifying to the truth? Well, I believe that by his entire life, his entire being, every word he said, every action he did, he was testifying to the truth. Even by being born, he was testifying to the truth of the prophecies that went before. Many, many prophecies. I know that there, there are many, many, many prophecies, but the exact number I don't know, I think it's in the hundreds. I'll look it up and find out. But he fulfilled them all. And he's in the process of fulfilling the other ones for his second coming. He was countering what had become the accepted norms of the day. There are, there are verses in Matthew that go like this. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. So I'll read one of them. Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus said, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father. So he was testifying to the truth, the real truth, things that were uh, counterintuitive almost. You see, the intuitive thing is to knock your enemy's block off. But the counterintuitive and the true way is to love your enemy. Because that confronts them really, really hard. Puzzles them. They don't know what's going on. They're looking for a higher explanation. And the truth is, the truth confronts us all. We come to the end of another year. We're about to begin another year. And at the end of this year, Jesus Christ and his truth is confronting us again. None of us are living completely in the light of that truth. We fall, we stumble, and there are things that we need to put right. There are strongholds in some of our minds that are conquering us on a daily basis. And the truth needs to come in there and put that right. This year has been a wonderful year in our church because we discovered freedom in Christ. Not that the doctrine of freedom in Christ, but the course. And uh, many of you have gone through it, possibly 90 altogether. And lives have been tr changed and transformed. Um, people have seen things that they've never seen before. Their life has taken a new direction. And that's because of the truth of God. And we're hopefully... We have people inquiring about doing it again. This week, another course is going to start, um, a little small one, uh, and people are going to be uh, involved in finding the truth through Jesus. This truth is confronting you. You want rid of those things, those chains that bind. He's the one who will do it. How are we going in the whole area of truth? Is truth taking over our lives? Are we imitating Christ? Does your life bear witness to the truth every day? Does my life bear witness to the truth every day? Would people at work say that I am a follower of Jesus? Would they say that you are a follower of Jesus? Or are you a secret disciple who blends in very well, like a chameleon? How are you doing in that area? Do you have a place for the King of Truth at Christmas? Now, I'm not asking, are you coming to church on Christmas Day? Or are you going to a carol service? I'm asking a much bigger question than that. Is he the king of your life? Is the king of truth the king of your life? Not just at Christmas, 
but every day. Do you believe that he came to put everything right? Do you believe that he came to save you, save your sins, forgive your sins? Do you believe that? You know, today would be a wonderful day to come to the King of Truth, to confess to him that you need him, to confess to him your sin. Put your trust in him. Quite a few people have come to know Jesus this year through the ministry here. Would you like to be another one who comes to know Jesus? There'll be people around to pray with you. Come and see me after if you want to get to know this king. We live in a very dangerous world. This week should be, if you're watching the news at all, you should be made aware that our world is a very precarious place. They reckon that within 50 years, uh, if we don't do something, our uh, world's climate could be irreversibly changed. We don't know what's going to happen even in the area of war. Troops are massing in the Middle East. This is the area the Bible talks about, the last great conflict. Is this it? We don't know. Are we ready? People talk about economic collapse. What happens if it comes? Are we ready? Are you ready? But there's a bigger thing than all of that, and it's your soul. Have you committed your life and soul and eternity to Jesus Christ yet? If you haven't, don't leave this place today without getting right with God. Starting into 2016 with Jesus. There's no better way to do it. May God help you, help all of us to get closer to the truth, allow the truth to work out through us. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.